Hey everybody, it's George Trombley and this is the Secrets of Japanese podcast. I am your host, George Trombley, and this is episode 22. Officially, one more episode more than I planned to initially do when we started this podcast. I don't know how to stop the sound. There we go, I've stopped it. Uh, one more than I officially initially attended to do. We were going to do just 21 of these. It was a That was the initial premise was we'll do 21 days of publishing and see where it goes. And I really have liked where it's went. So I have just committed to another 21. So we're gonna have at least 42 episodes every day, no matter what, no matter what befells me or my, or my family, I will try to do one of these episodes. And today something happened that I uh, talked about on my main channel, Japanese from Zero, to extent. So I'm not going to talk about that here. Uh, let's just sum it up and say that uh, one of the most important things I've ever made in my life got uh, counterfeit, uh, got counterfeited and was being sold uh, at a lower price on Amazon. And that has cut our sales down uh, by half for the last two months Uh and it was uh, uh, it affected me, so I made a video about it. But I don't want to talk about that now. You can go watch that stream if you'd like. I don't want to talk about that drama. What I would like to do instead is not do what I was originally planning to do to do today, and just give a little bit of history of where I am, how what I wrote became what it is. With a kind of it'll be a little bit off the cuff. I'm, I'm going to just try to remember back twenty two ish years ago. Uh, We'll start there. First, we'll start with, I guess, a little bit earlier than that. I have been married to my wife now for over 25 years. Uh, it's the longest relationship I've had in my life. And I've lived in a house with her for longer than I've lived anywhere in my life. It's a very special relationship for me. Her name is Yukari. And you heard her yesterday for the first time live on episode number 21 where she was reading in the background. Now she doesn't like to be on camera, so she's very, very rarely on camera, but she's never had a problem being uh, on voice. And she's also never been a problem really digging deep into grammar and helping us make these books what they are. So we had gotten married. She is eight and a half years older than me. When I met her, I was 22 years old and she was 30. I was a tour guide for the Japanese tourists here in Las Vegas. And these two girls came in on a tour and <clears throat> I met them at the airport and I had, I'd kind of like taken a nap right before that. So my hair was a little bit messy and, uh, she had quoted saying later on, you know, you were just one of those typical tour guides that she, that was her impression at least. And, uh, even though, you know, my hair was a little bit messed up, I was attempting to be funny and charming. And, uh, there was four other people on the tour. I remember and, uh, two other couples. And then these two, these two girls who would not laugh at any of my jokes. And I remember we got to the hotel, which is this big pyramid hotel in Las Vegas called the Luxor. And I was trying to make money by selling them a tour. And norm, I'm, I was a very good salesman with the Japanese. I could sell a Grand Canyon tour. I mean, it was, it was like uh, shooting goldfish in a barrel. I think that's the phrase, but it's, it was an easy thing to do because back then there was no internet and Japanese people would buy this magazine called Rurubu, and they would come in and they would have this idea that they wanted to go to places, but they didn't know how to get the tour. They weren't booking ahead of time. So they came with the idea that they wanted to book. And you could make uh, 5 to $10 ahead by selling them on the tour. So I always sold Grand Canyon, Death Valley, Night Tour. 
Well, these two dumb girls didn't want to go on any tours. So they were killing my mojo for selling the other four people. So I did my best to get them up to their room right away. That was what I did. And then I sold the other four. And I got those, I just got rid of those dumb girls and I was trying to leave the hotel to get back to the office. And I got a, a, a message from the office, which by, back then was on a pager. Okay, this is 20, 20, oh gosh, 26 years ago, okay? So uh, maybe 27 now. I, I got a message on the pager. It was 911 from the office. That means no matter what, drop what you're doing and call. So I, I called. I went to the front desk. No one had cell phones. That wasn't a thing. I called the front desk. Uh, I went to the front desk, I mean, at the hotel. I said, hey, would you mind loaning me your phone? I have an emergency. I called the office, and it turns out that two of the customers uh, out of the six had gotten their luggage broken into. And uh, <clears throat> I knew it was those dumb girls. I, that's exactly what I thought. I thought, and I told them, I said, it's the two girls, isn't it? And they're like, yes. Like, ah, oh, these dumb girls. Like, I just didn't like these two girls. So... I said, look, I'm on the way home. Can someone else do it? They said, you're the only one. So I reluctantly went up to the room, and I swear the whole time. I was pretty young. You know, I was like 22, and I thought, these girls are just, I did. I kind of doubted them. You know, I, you know, in my older age, I trust people nowadays. Like, I assume people are, from the very beginning, telling the truth. But in this particular case, I thought, you know what? These girls are just trying to get insurance money. That's exactly what I thought. I thought, this is a scam for them to get insurance money. So <clears throat> I knock on the room, and uh, Yukari, who I found out, uh, who ended up becoming my wife, was uh, I found out that was her name. I didn't know it then. I found it out after, but she answers the door. And uh, I go, okay, hi, I'm George. I'm just going to come in and take some uh, notes for you, and then we'll we'll make a police report. I come inside, and of course, I do. I just believe they're lying. But her friend is crying. And I am not good when women are crying. When I, I start feeling so bad, I I knew then it was real because I just, in that time in my life, didn't think people could ever just cry on demand. And her luggage had been uh, opened and all of the zippers had been opened up and things were obviously missing. So I start, you know, taking down, you know, what was missing and I was asking what their value was and I guess I was trying to be like an insurance guy, you know, and she would say, oh, 9,000 yen. It's okay. So 18,000 yen. And I was just writing higher values as if that was going to help. But I, I just felt so bad that, you know, these two girls came and even though I didn't like them initially, I felt bad because they had been really, you know, molested essentially when they got to America, there was this type of luggage called the Samsonite clam type and at that time that clam type was always getting broken into and she happened to have one <clears throat> so i took down the report and i just felt so bad you know they weren't even going to come to vegas initially they were planning on going to hawaii so twist of fate they come here and their first day is just ruined so i feel bad and i said listen how about i treat you guys to dinner tonight and it i guess it was lucky that her luggage was broken into because normally my wife is pretty intelligent. She told me, you know, after the fact, like she never would have ever went out with a some random guy that she met that day, you know, but she wanted to help her friend Nobio feel better. So she agreed. So I 
called my friend Jeremy. We kind of made it a double date thing. Trust me, I was young. I was still thinking along those lines. And I took them on a date and we went and we ate at Hard Rock Hard Rock uh, Cafe, which is not longer, no longer there anymore here in Vegas. Not the original one, at least. And then we took them up to look at the view up on the mountain. Uh, there's a mountain called Sunrise Mountain here. It's really beautiful in Las Vegas. And um, I think at one point I held her hand. So it was good. It was a good budding start for a relationship. I won't bore you with all the details, <laughs> but a year later, I married her. About a year and two months later, I married her. And she had turned, I think, 31, and I had turned 30, I'm sorry, uh, 23. And so I was a tour guide, and for a year or two, that's what I did. But now let's get into how we get to writing Japanese from Zero, <clears throat> how we build this company. So... I had always been writing Japanese lessons since I had gotten back to Las Vegas from Japan. And I don't know what drove me to do it, but I would type in, I think the program was Word Pro 6. And it was this black, ugly screen on a, back in the days when there was just becoming like CompuServe. Like it was the early, early days of the internet. Uh, I remember, but I never was on the internet. I was just using my father's computer and I was, and, and I was writing Japanese lessons. And the name of the book that I was writing was called George's Convenient Japanese. And I had lessons like time to tell time and first greetings and a lot of the things that went into the initial Japanese from zero. Actually, I still have on colored paper that I had printed out at Kinko's. I used to go to Kinko's. It, it was some sort of weird obsession with me. I would take my original that I had printed on white paper, go to Kinko's and make 20 or 30 copies in multiple pastel colors. Why? I don't know. I had no one I was teaching to. I just loved the creation process. So I have all these lessons that I've been writing and I'm doing this tour guide work and everywhere I go, people would say to me, oh man, if I spoke Japanese like you, I would be rich. They would say something like that. And I, and I would say, oh, okay, well, I am rich. I would say it like that. I would say, I am rich. I just have a website that says I'm George Trombley and I speak Japanese and people send me money. That was a joke that I said all the time. And then one day it just kind of hit me like after hearing it like a million times, if I spoke Japanese, I'd be rich. I thought, you know what? It's a business opportunity. Maybe I should actually just teach Japanese. I believe that's what my, my thought process was. Let me make some money. So I, I had thought that, but I hadn't done anything with it until one fateful day when I was uh, late to work. As always, by the way, I was late quite a bit. I was always what they would say in Japanese, giddy giddy. Giddy giddy means just in the nick of time. And my, the manager of my company, Mr. Kawamura, uh, was angry that I wasn't early. That's what he wanted me to be was early, not on time, but early. And he typed up the letter and in the letter, it said, you are suspended for a day. And the next time it will be three days. And the next time after that, you will be fired. We pay you three hours. I think was what he wrote, or we pay you enough money so that you can come a half hour early, early. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And, uh, that wasn't true. I'm a little bit of a rebel, but Hey, that wasn't true. Uh, you got two and a half hours or two hours. I can't remember which, what, what it was, but it wasn't enough. It was just enough to get to the airport, pick up the, the, the customers, bring them to their hotel. They were wanting you to work basically a free half hour. And my way of rebelling was to get there exactly on time. Although I'm not trying to make it look like I'm something like a, you know, I'm not in the right here because 
I definitely needed to be more on time. But I took that day off that next day. I was very, very angry. And I realized I'm not happy doing what I'm doing as a tour guide. I hate being told that I need to be somewhere at a certain time. I hate being told, uh, you know, when to wake up, when to go to bed based on the jobs that I was doing. And they would give you an early morning job and then expect you to do a 9 p.m. night tour with everybody. And I loved the night tour, so I would never say no. You know, I liked it. I, I really loved it because it was like a one-man show. It's like me doing a live stream right now, but all in Japanese, and I could talk about all the things that I wanted while telling them about Las Vegas. It was really fun for me, so I'd always do it. <clears throat> so I was angry. I was like, you know, I do a good job, and here you are suspending me for a day and threatening to fire me. So that night when I went home, I printed up a flyer. I came up with a logo for TTI, Trombley Takenaka International. And this was my Japanese language services company. That's what it was going to be. And I wrote up, I made up a little flyer in what was a, a software program called Corel Draw, this really old, outdated program. And it, uh, it was just like a circle with the red on it, you know, like everyone does. Anyone that teaches Japanese, like anyone's first logo is always the, the, the red circle of Japan. And that's exactly what I did. And I, uh, I, I printed up a bunch of those on my color printer. It took like all day because printers were super slow. And then me and my wife cut our, we had our phone numbers at the bottom, like lined up horizontal and we just cut them, you know, so that people could tear them off. Like when you're, when they say, oh, we have a lawnmower for sale or we need babysitters, they would put this up in apartment complexes. And we went around to like 50, 60, I don't remember how many, like tons of apartment complexes. And we said, do you want to learn Japanese? Do you want to learn Japanese? And we did that. And uh, we only got one student. I don't think anyone bit initially off of that. It wasn't until a couple weeks later that we started adding students, but the very, very first student was someone that I knew. Her name was Samantha. She still lives here in Vegas. Uh, I haven't seen her in, oh gosh, 20, 20 some years, but uh, she was our first student. And I, I told my father I was gonna teach Japanese and he let me use his little conference room, which was, I don't know, one fourth the size of this room that I'm in now. And it just had enough room for a table. Samantha came in and all I had was these big flashcards that I had bought in um in LA at uh there were these kumon cards i had 30 of them they were things like hikoki you know airplane mofu actually a lot of the words the very first words that i put in japanese was there were these words in that group because i didn't know what to put in the book so i started with those words but that was we're a little bit before that before writing a book cuz i had nothing so i just had these flashcards and i thought i have got a lesson every week with this woman she's paying $75 a month for these lessons I've got to come up with a good book. So I went searching for books. I looked at Genki. I looked at Japanese for busy. I don't know if, you know, honestly, I don't know if Genki was around. I looked at everything that was out already. And one of them was Japanese for busy people. One of them was Japanese in 10 minutes a day or something like that. And none of them were either, I thought, they were either too slow or too fast. And uh, so I, I didn't use them. So just out of pure desperation, I started putting together my convenient Japanese book, right? I said, oh yeah, I've got lessons. I'll start writing. So if we had a class on, you know, Monday, Saturday and Sunday, we were frantically coming up with a lesson. I'd be on my computer and my wife would have, I think we had two computers. I don't remember if we had two computers or one, but I remember my wife would, the way that we did it was my wife would write a reading comprehension. If I had already made grammar, she would write a reading comprehension to fit that grammar. And then as we got higher up, she would write, reading comprehensions and I would pull uh, grammar out and then make a lesson so that when they got to the end of that 
lesson, they could understand the reading comprehension. You know how a lot of books have the reading comprehension in the beginning of the lesson? Like a big conversation in the beginning of the lesson that you don't understand? I always thought that was a mistake in books. I thought, why would you put the test in the beginning of the book? Show them the new words, give them their phrases, teach them the grammar, and then give them the big thing that they could possibly read on the first try and feel good about. Instead of being very, every book I've learned with Korean, my Chinese books, uh, every other language I've ever learned, even today, still does this, what I feel, very outdated method where they put this big reading comprehension at the front of the lesson. So anyway, I'm going to fast forward. We eventually get to having a lot of people in class, okay? We did radio ads. I remember I was a, I was a tour guide doing these night tours, and I'd run my first set of radio ads because we eventually rented an office, and the guy that had the office next to us was a radio guy. And he said, hey, we could do a radio commercial with you. And those radio ads are still available to listen on one of my SoundCloud accounts. Maybe I'll play them uh, Maybe I'll play them one time in an episode coming up. Uh, remind me, and it, it, we'll do a special where I just, they're like one minute long commercials, but they're kind of funny. So we made these radio ads, and it was, if you call in the first 10 callers that call in now, you know, get a free class, get a free month of Japanese. And you did that because you'd get more people interested and the radio stations would talk more about your business because they were doing a giveaway. It was like getting a free commercial. So I would be doing this night tour and, and it's like 11 o'clock at night and the ad would run. And by then I had a cell phone and I'd be getting a call and it would be like, and I would just, I'd see the phone call ring and I'd go, Trombley Takenaka International, may I help you? If I remembered, sometimes I'd just go, hello? And they go, yeah, is this the Japanese classes? I say, oh, uh, yes, it is, Trombley Takenaka International. May I help you? Takenaka, I mean. And uh, they go, did I win? And I, <laughs> what? Wait, oh, uh, you did. You you absolutely won. <laughs> you won a free class. And, and I started gathering more and more students with that method. And... Uh, Every week we're writing these lessons and eventually we get up to like this big, thick binder of lessons. And it's just really unruly, you know, it's this unruly lesson. And every time that we would do a class, I would gauge the student's understanding of what we taught and I would then revise the lesson. And it became such a task, you know, I'd revise the lesson and, and at the bottom of the lesson, I'd have to have this date that said, hey, revised on this date, which is interesting because I'm doing the exact same thing with the secrets of uh Japanese podcast where we're looking, if you look at that, there are revision dates because I've been updating what I've made because I find issue like a word that we can't teach yet or something like that. So it's, it's literally the exact same process, but uh eventually that, that binder just got so ruly, you know, uh, that I, I started binding them. I would bind the lessons by hand. We would, we'd punch holes in them with an Ibco machine. It's called an Ibco machine. It put like, I don't know, 25 or 30 holes in it. And then you would uh, put this cloth thing around it. And I would give that away as a book. That was the first time we had a book. Okay. I remember before we had the book, this is kind of an important moment in the history of the book. I think it was a level one class. And <clears throat> I had just taught this lesson that I thought was a really good lesson. It taught kore, sore, are, and dore. And together, koko, soko, asoko, and doko. And I thought, great, I'm teaching koso ado words this pattern of words that follows a pattern, koso ado, and I teach two of them together, it'd be great. Nobody got it. Everyone kept mixing up koko and kore and dore and doko, and it was very, very frustrating to me. And I remember the moment that last student left the class, I pick up this binder, 
and I just I throw it across the room. I'm angry. I'm frustrated because my genius lesson didn't work. And I remember the minute it hit the ground, just all the paper, like it was like a movie scene, like all the papers just flew up in the air, you know? And Yukari was just like, uh, my wife was just like, Tostano. I said, I don't know why they don't understand. And that's when I really, that is the epiphany moment for me when I realized you can't teach them everything in one lesson. You have to slow it down. You have to split things up. Sometimes the order alone is what's stopping someone learning Japanese. It's not that the concept's hard. It's that you didn't give their brain enough time to absorb it. So what was lesson three? I split into lesson three, and then I took half that lesson and made it lesson seven. And guess what? It worked. It worked. So I start binding the books. Every night we're binding books and eventually I open up a little shop on the web and we start selling. There was no Amazon yet that I knew of at least. We start selling these uh, learning, what were they like? Learning kits. It was like, it was like a beginner kit for learning Japanese. We had these flashcards that we had made and they were like, they were just literally printed on our printer front and back 150 cards spread out over, I think eight sheets and or 180 cards spread out over eight, uh, five Five or six sheets. I think it was six sheets, 30 a sheet. And, it would be, and then we, we, went, we bought a laminator machine and we would laminate it. They'd have to cut it. And we had hiragana cards and uh, we had a little hiragana uh, uh, card like a, with all the hiragana on it that we would send out. And it was great. And we sold it like, like for, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks. And it was selling. People were buying it. It was kind of nice. And <clears throat> eventually we were selling, I think, up to like book two had come out. And I get this, uh, I get one of the books returned. This is just a, a moment in history that another one of those epiphany moments. The, the book comes back with a, a strongly worded letter. You call this educational material. The font's hard to read. Everything is too small. And they were just complaining very hardcore. But they were valid criticisms. I think I, I got very upset, of course, because, you know, you're talking about we hadn't been. It's not like we're selling, you know, thousands of books at that time. It's a very small amount of books. And we got one returned. And it was it was really well-worded, but yet sharp criticism. So I gave up and I never taught Japanese again. That was the end of it. I'm just kidding. What I did was I rewrote, I reformed the book. I made the font bigger. I changed the font and I made it a better book. That criticism was important. I wish I knew who that person was now, but I made the book better. And from that point forward, obviously I kept improving. We kept improving. And every, uh, every month or every two months, there'd be a new kind of update to the book and then i uh started expanding i hired out uh, i hired a man named justin justin you might have heard the name justin justin is actually currently one of the co-owners of the from zero company which is the newer of the two companies that i run at the time that company was called yes japan corporation it became we, we eventually called trombley takenaka international when we incorporated we renamed it to yes japan corporation and at that time it was just me and my wife and i had eventually hired this guy justin to help with customer service because we had built a website eventually and you know things had to be handled and justin thought that the way we were making the books was inefficient so he looked up a way to make it print it somewhere else and he found this place called create space and create space eventually got bought by amazon but at the time it was create space and they could get your book on amazon which i didn't know what that was but justin said trust me it'll be a good thing Something like that. It, that. That's the history I remember. At least I'll make it up now. We're going to say that's what the history was because I certainly don't remember it exactly. But all I know is it was Justin that did that research. He, fe he felt that they were the best printer and we started printing there. And guess what happened? 
we started selling actual amounts of books. Not a ton, but we were making a few hundred dollars a month. It was doing really well. And it showed me that there was a whole other way that I could earn income through selling books and not doing, you know, one-on-one classes with people. So it was kind of, kind of cool and exciting, to be honest with you. And um, <clears throat> I'm going to jump ahead, but the books were doing okay. And I think it was 2006. And I was doing, uh, in 2006, books were selling, I don't know. There, there, was, there was a certain amount of money that was made between books and the membership of US Japan. It wasn't a lot of money, a couple thousand dollars. Uh, and we also had the live classes. So it was enough to pay people. Um, it was probably more than that because I, I had, uh, I think, two, two people on the staff at that time. Uh, but it wasn't a ton. And I was doing this other company that I'd started called Japan Files. Strangely enough, the guy that I started Japan Files with was one of the students whose brother had won a free class on that radio ad. His name was Mark Laity, won the free class. Mark was a like genius at learning. He learned really well the Japanese. He went through what at the time was like course five. And then he got his little brother in and his little brother wasn't doing as well. His name was Steve Lady. And I remember uh, I really liked Steve, you know, because I was much younger than he was closer to my age at the time. And, I, you know, where do you all see meet friends? We became friends. And he'd say, hey, man, I want you to hear this song. And he'd bring me out to his car. We'd listen to the music and we bonded over music, right? And one day, uh, I remember before before we, we were really, really close friends, I, I was distraught that, you know, Steve wasn't doing well. He wasn't at the superstar like his brother was. And he wasn't really remembering the lessons. So I took him out in the car that night. I said, hey, let me talk to you. Let's not do the music thing right now, but uh, I think you should quit. I said, I think you should quit. You you suck, and you're not trying, and you're probably not going to get good. So why don't you just stop wasting your time and money? And I meant it. I really meant it. I'm not I, I'm not the kind of guy that can <laughs> that can flower things up. That's Justin. Justin, my, the co-owner of the From Zero Company, is a very politically correct man. I cannot do this. I am just going to tell you how I feel. Well, that turned the fire on for Steve. He then started crushing it. He said, and he tells me to this day, he said, that was the day that I realized I had to do better. And he did. And at one point, you know, we would, you know, we kept meeting up in the car after and just chilling for a while. He's like, hey, we should start a music company. And that became Japan Files. Now, during Japan Files, I, I, this part of the history is a little bit, uh, maybe too much information, but I hired a man named, uh, David and David was helping us do press releases because we were introducing music to America. Eventually we had released like 60, uh, 25 CDs. We brought morning Musume to America. We brought uh, Giro Gamesh to America. We brought every year we were bringing multiple bands to these big anime events. It was a ton of fun, but he said the books needed new covers. And <clears throat> that was the first real big switch for us. Once we made the covers prettier with multicolor and professionally designed anime characters. Wow sales were now we had a viable business they started doing really well i'm going to really jump forward now because i don't want to bore you with the details uh that was doing well for a long time japan files eventually failed a few years later and i was stuck with just the books and i was desperate it was 2012 things were not going well uh yes japan which had been the website which had been the leader in all of our economic success we were making uh enough money to have I think five employees at that time. And it was just, we were doing really great in 2000, up until 2012. And as you know, the economic crisis happened in 2008. Uh, that's when, well, maybe you didn't know, but it's called the uh, 
they call it the Lehman shock in Japan because Lehman Brothers collapsed and that led to a, a, a bunch of other big collapses when the housing market, it was a big housing market thing. You can watch the big, what is it called? The big short if you want to know about it. But that started in 2008 and we were still good until about 2012. But our members on yes, Japan were just slowly decreasing. And as it got worse and worse and worse over this long period of time, people were not paying for the website. And uh, I started losing, we started not having enough money. We never had enough money in book sales at that time to keep staff on. We had the website. That's all we had. So eventually, I decided I had to quit uh, Japan Falls, which was a suck on the money. It was just sucking down all of our capital. I was doing a bunch of interpreting work at that time. Uh, I would do months of interpreting where I uh, for Varian Medical, and Varian Medical would pay me $12,000 a month to interpret for their classes. It was amazingly good money, and it saved my companies for many, many years. But there was a point where I just couldn't keep going, and I had to close down everything but the books. And that's when I started doing videos like we're doing right now. Uh, now, I'm not, okay, some of you are listening on a podcast, but you might not know this. I'm also simulcasting, I'm, I'm streaming this also live on a, on a YouTube channel. It's my preferred format is YouTube. So I talk to people on YouTube. I teach them Japanese directly on YouTube. That's what is on the uh, Japanese from Zero channel that has over 200,000 subscribers, close to 200,000 subscribers right now. But right now I'm, I'm on my little private channel, which has about 2,500, uh, just because I like to talk to the people. So that's when it really starts to do well because I'm talking to people and in the beginning of every video, it says, you know, hey, I'm George Trombley author of Japanese from zero and people started seeing that and they would go and they would buy the book. And, uh, for years I just did random lessons where it wasn't structured. And then this will be the last big turning point for us. I would say probably, uh, some guy in, in Australia, a Japanese man called up and he said, uh, I love your videos. I show them to our, I show them to our students all the time. We are a Christian school, a Catholic school. And it's an all-girls school about, like, ages, I think, 11 to 14. And I, I got a little bit nervous. I got a little bit of a skip there because he was showing my videos to these impressionable children. And my topics were always very random. And you never knew when I was going to say, and I, I'm, get ready for a word here. You never knew when I might say the word penis. Because there was an episode where we talked about the Yakuza. And the, the topic came up and I didn't hold back. And I talked about uh, penises, which came up in a discussion. I'm sorry that this is a little bit uh, racy, but I got really worried. And I said, I think, his, I think his name was Masa. And I said, Masa, you can't show those videos without previewing them. You need to make sure because I don't know in the, it was the George and Keiko show that we were doing at the time. I don't know what I talk about in those videos. I don't worry too much about it. I just put them up and people seem to like them. So I don't censor myself that much. You might want to double check. He says, oh, 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 that's a problem. You can't, can't do that. I said, you know what? Never mind. Listen, I'm going to make a series for you. I told him, I, I promised him without really having a plan in my head. I said, I'll make a series for you. This was 2016. And that's what became the biggest thing that happened for us the Japanese From Zero video series. That's where all my views come from. That's why people subscribe to the From Zero channel. That's why you probably own the Japanese From Zero book because you watch the videos first. If you watch that very first video, you're, you'll hear me say something like, it doesn't matter who you are, even if you're being forced to learn Japanese, 
even if you're in some, you know, if you're in England or if you're in Australia, I specifically say Australia because I know that that's what I'm making it for. And that was the first time that I taught what was in the books in order. And it was the first time that I didn't talk about penises randomly. Okay. To be, to be open. And, uh, that is when we really started crushing it. If you go read the reviews on Japanese from zero, the majority of those reviews say they love the videos on YouTube. Okay. So the videos drove the book sales and the book sales drove the videos. So it's always been this nice, good balance. Now what happened today and what's been happening over the last, I guess now since September is ever since I, I, uh, we started doing Kindle editions of the books, it's been much easier to pirate the books because it's a digital copy that's out there. And Kindle is a joke in terms of, uh, protecting the, the book, the work there, even if you, you put DRM on it, you, it's just not protectable. Okay. And, uh, I didn't talk about it much, but you know, there was a lot of PDFs that I'd see pop up and I had staff, I have a uh, one and a half dedicated staff basically that, that part of their job is they send DCMA requests and they get websites taken down. We had one huge Facebook group with like 400,000, I think, or it was either a hundred thousand or 400,000 subscribers that would not stop sharing the files of the book. Even though we were requesting very specifically, please remove this content. It's a, it's someone sharing our book illegally. Um, and, uh, they, they didn't do it. So their, their entire community got removed. And I remember them begging, please, please, please. We didn't know. And I was just so mad because you just heard my history. You know how much, you know, at least a little bit about what we went through to write this book. And then these guys are just nonchalantly passing it amongst each other. Uh, as if it was nothing, if it was just trash on the street and it, it hurt me. So you know, uh, they wanted, oh, please, please tell them that we're okay, that we're in compliance. It's like, no, you're not. We sent you request after request after request. Well, that was still not a big problem, right? People sending it one-on-one, I can't stop it. I assume it's going to happen. And every now and then, you know, you find someone on Etsy selling the PDF or on eBay. You know, as these platforms start giving their uh, people the ability to sell things on their uh, digital files, well, they'll just take my book and sell it. And these platforms don't check. They don't check that you're the copyright holder or the trademark holder. They just assume, oh, you have a file and your name is Jeff. Okay, Jeff, here's money, right? Well, again, that wasn't that big of a deal. It just became a big of a deal when I, the last two months, sales have been really, really down. And uh, I didn't know what it was. You know, I started looking for, is there a, a new book on the market? Because I always look at the new books that come out and I say, oh, that has a nice cover. Oh, wow, that could do well. And I'm always looking because if I need to make a change to my book to stay number one, we have been number one for so long, I want to stay number one. So I'm always watching the competition. So I thought sales are down. There must be some new competition. Well, there wasn't. And, and I just started reporting the numbers back to Justin. I said, Justin, this isn't good. I mean, we're at half of what we normally do. We're on track to do half this month. When you have to understand, we just had an amazing year. Corona was an amazing year for us because people were staying home and language book sales were up. So I'm trying to figure out why are my sales down when our ranking on Amazon has not changed. And I don't just mean number one in Japanese, you know, cause that could be however many books, but we're in the underneath the top 2000 bestsellers of all of Amazon. And I know what that means over the years. I can figure out based on our rank, how many books we're selling completely for the month. And I can, I get a good guess estimate. Well, we should be selling double the books. And then I notice randomly while trying to figure it out that the book was being sold by some company I never heard before. 
like Jeffrey's Book Supply or something. It said sold by Jeffrey's Book Supply and fulfilled by Amazon. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And it's the official listing. It's the first listing that when you search for Japanese from zero, that's what comes up. And it makes no sense because it should be shipped by and sold by Amazon because we print with Amazon. Create Space got purchased by Amazon. It became the Kindle pl uh, publishing platform. So it should be directly through Amazon. We did that over, and you know, there's a bunch of the story that I haven't told you, but our book got delisted at one point when there was a big battle between uh, Ingram, which was our other printer at one point through Lightning Source, and, and books weren't being put on the shelf. They were being held back, even though they were print on demand through them, because Amazon was putting pressure on that company. So we reluctantly moved to, uh, to move every book over to uh, that create space. Matter of fact, that's what it was. Justin didn't find create space first. He found lightning source first. And we moved reluctantly through the pressure of Amazon to create space, but it was a better platform, so it worked out. And so for years, we never had any issues. But now, someone's selling our book, and it's got an, a certain amount in stock. If you ever went and bought the book, it didn't say 22 in stock. It says in stock because it's a print-on-demand book. It shouldn't be in stock. No one is supplying the book. So I started doing some investigation, and I called Justin and I say, you know, our book might be pirated right now. I'm not sure. It might. It's weird because no matter where they purchased the book through any of our retail channels, they couldn't be selling the book at this price because they were purposely undercutting the, 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 the sale price so that they became the first choice. And the Amazon algorithm would then choose that cheaper sale because that's what they do. The algorithm says, give the customer the best price. So if they lower it by a penny from what Amazon was selling it for, then it becomes the book that they buy. So I noticed that and I thought, okay, someone else is selling our books. Where are they getting it from? So I ordered the book uh, two days ago. I was waiting for it. And, uh, and earlier this morning, before the book arrived, I thought I had figured out what had happened. I th I, I, we had called one of the people that were selling our books and they told us, oh yeah, we're getting it from this company called VIA Industries or something like that. And it was a big liquidator company. I thought, oh, okay, you know what? Let me get a drink here, hang on. I thought maybe there was a big batch of orders in the last few months and one of the companies failed and then they liquidated the books and now one of that, that liquidator company is selling them in batches and people are buying them and then putting them on Amazon. That's a legit way to do it, right? I can't complain about that. And, and I remember thinking very confidently that actually is probably what happened. And it explains, I saw there's one bad review uh, from a guy on, on the, and I look at the bad reviews all the time. I look at the good reviews. I, I always make sure we're in the, I'm not missing anything. This book was damaged. And, I, and, and it always freaked me out. Like, how could a book be damaged? It comes straight from the printer. Like, I've ordered books over and over again from Amazon. They're never damaged. Well, when you do liquidation, often books are just thrown into boxes. All these products are just, Amazon and all these big companies, they're not carefully taking care of it. They throw everything in this huge, huge box and they'll sell that box for a few thousand dollars. And they'll take things out and they'll salvage them and then they'll sell them on eBay or they'll sell them on Amazon. And so if someone goes to Amazon, they randomly <clears throat> from the main listing will get one of those books because it's listed cheaper. And then they'll think, we sent them a bad book. Well, we didn't. But even that is a legitimate thing. I always tell people, hey, if you get a damaged book, return it. Amazon will totally make you whole. So finally, the book arrives, and it is a blatant counterfeit. It is. I, I thought, you know, if we wait a month or two, 
the stock that we, because I found a big order in January on our Lightning Source platform, and I thought, okay, that's exactly what happened. I was very convinced. All the circumstantial evidence was there that it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't anything that we could stop. It's the normal way business works. People have the right to buy your book from the printer that you're selling it from them, at least, and to sell it, right? They're not copywriting. Uh, they're not causing any copyright infringement because they're buying your actual book. But this wasn't the case. They had taken the Kindle edition, slapped it in the book, and then scanned the newest edition cover and threw it around it. The Kindle edition that they have is from a year ago. It is version six. But the book now is called Update 7. So it's the seventh update of the book. But in the internals of their book, it's Update 6. But they, they're they very willfully making this book because the internal front cover, first page and the last page, are actually taken, they're scans of the current edition. So if you just look at the front page and the back page, it looks like the new book. But everything in the middle is bad. So, so that's how my day went. <laughs> that's what happened. We are working on it. I didn't mean to get too much into that detail because I made a whole video on it. But hey, the passion got to me and we did it. Uh, and uh, everyone today in the live stream on the Japanese from Zero channel was uh, absolutely amazing. Um, I'll tell you right now, uh, there was at one point 810 people watching. That's a record for me. And I appreciate everyone really wanting to care about what was happening. I appreciate everyone that was up there. I know that I'm speaking to a much smaller audience right now. Uh, but I just want to let you know that... Um, if you had watched that other video, I'm doing okay. We are doing okay. We will work through it. We have a good uh, uh, a good uh, couple lawyers on staff, and we will work it out. We will figure it out. That's it, guys. Uh, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to my story and my indulgence. I promise to you uh, that tomorrow uh, I'll make sure I'm at home <laughs> at an earlier time, and I will get Yukari to help me teach the next lesson on Secrets of Japanese, episode number 23, where we get right back on track and we start learning Japanese. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. Bye-bye.